this morning, uh, I want to just take a moment, take a few moments really, and talk about something that God confronted me with during the stay-at-home order. And I'm very intentional on that phrase. Uh, There's been many times in my life where God has spoken to me about something, where he has uh, guided me to something, but uh, we've all had those moments where he has confronted us with something, where it was really something that we were convicted of. And it began really by reading a couple of verses that were in one of the devotionals I was going through. So I just want to take a look at those this morning, and I will point this out. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. But Isaiah 50, 11 says this, But watch out, you who live in your own light, and warm yourselves by your own fires. Or other translations will say, who light your own torches. This is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. Those who light your own torches, you will receive no benefit. Those who decide to try to make their own source of light, those who decide to provide their own warmth, their own comfort, you will lie down in great torment. In other translations, it says, you will receive no reward from me. There's no blessing in doing that. And God began to convict my heart on that. And then this verse, Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13, immediately followed. Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And we'll pause right there for a second on this term idols. I think often we can look at that word and we can think, oh, that's Old Testament. We kind of just glaze over it. It's something that we don't, really see a whole lot of the physical carved out idols in this day and age. But in John Bevere's book, Killing Kryptonite, an incredible read, I would highly recommend it. He defined idols as this. Idols are anything that takes God's place in our hearts or that we draw our strength from. Anything that takes God's place in our hearts or that we draw our strength from. From. When we look at the term idols in that context, I think many of us can begin to look at our lives and begin to slowly identify some things that could be potential idols. But let's continue to read on in verse 12. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord in verse 13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Cisterns, for those of you like me, I had to look this up. It's not a term that I hear very often. It's a vessel that was created with the intended purpose of holding water, generally underground. But if you've ever had a container that had a crack in it and you put liquid and it began to leak out, it's pretty useless And eventually all of that water will fall out. As I read these verses, God confronted me. God convicted me. You see, during the stay-at-home order, I had found myself in a very dark, in a very dry place. I shared with our pastoral team, and, and I was talking with my wife when that realization came and shared with them that, Up to this point in my life, I had never felt so lost. I had never felt so purposeless 
and aimless, dark, dry, and confused. Because what I had done and what God pointed out to me was instead of coming to God who is light and receiving from him, I had decided to create my own torch and attempt to live by my own fire. Instead of receiving from the God who is the fountain of living waters, I had decided to try to dig a pit and fill it with my own water that I could come to. I had decided, I had attempted to live a Christ-filled life without allowing Christ himself to fill it. And as a result, I found myself in a very dark, very desperate place. I had decided to rely upon myself instead of God. And as God brought this realization to me and I was convicted beyond belief, I got even further convicted because I realized that this was not something new for me. It was something that God has spoken to me about before. And perhaps many of you this morning, as you're listening, as you're watching, are reflecting and you go, I have found myself there too. And so what I began to do is I, as I cried and, and I was before Holy Spirit and I was speaking to him and I just asked him, why, why do I find myself here? Not just now, but why do I continue to find myself in varying degrees not relying upon you, Jesus? And he spoke two things to me, two things I wanna share with you that he was speaking to me, but I also know that they had, uh, apply to all of us as Christians this morning. The first thing that he shared with me of why reliance is a continued struggle in my life is independence. The value, the idea of independence. Now, um, among Americans, we are proud of this value. Research has shown there's 10 values that Americans hold very highly and ranked number four on the research that I was looking at was independence. It is one of the most highly upheld values in American society. But what may be great for a country is not necessarily great as an attribute for an individual, much less a believer in Jesus Christ, because in and of itself, independence is truly contrary to the gospel. Let's take a look at some of the definitions of independence. Not influenced by or controlled by others in matter of opinion, conduct, etc., thinking or acting for oneself. Independence is to not be subject to another's authority or jurisdiction, to be autonomous, to be free. Next slide, please. To not be influenced by the thought or action of others, to not be dependent, to not depending or contingent upon something else for existence, operation, etc. And some synonyms would be self-reliant, self-sufficient. And can you go back to the first slide? Let's take a look at these line by line and compare it to how we are to live in Christ. So to be independent is to not be influenced by or controlled by others in matter of opinion, conduct, etc., thinking or acting for oneself. As Christians, we are called above all to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, to follow his leading, to have his word and his spirit influence our opinion, how we live and conduct ourselves, to think and act on behalf of Christ and to allow his light to shine forth 
from us. To be independent is to not be subject to another's authority or jurisdiction, to be autonomous, to be free. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are blessed to be under the authority of Jesus Christ, who has authority over all powers that have ever been or ever will be. Let's look at the rest of these definitions. To be independent is not to be influenced by the thought or action of others. Again, we are to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and he shapes our thoughts, our actions, transforms our mind, as it says in Romans 12, too, to reflect him. To not be dependent, not depending or contingent upon something else for existence. God's word tells us that without Christ, there is no life at all. I would say that we have to rely upon him for our existence. He determines how many breaths we have. To be self-reliant or self-sufficient, neither of those things define a believer of Jesus Christ. We must be very careful as Christians to not mix our cultural values with scriptural truths. It is so easy to allow our different thoughts from our culture, different things that we value, different political beliefs, different attributes that we like to see in people in our country. It is so easy to allow those things to infiltrate our thought process when it comes to the truth of the gospel. But we must be incredibly careful because they always fall short. When we allow our cultural values to mix with scriptural truths, it will result in a skewed and an inaccurate view of God and of life. And in the issue of independence, it is contrary to the gospel. We are to be completely reliant upon God. The second reason that God showed me of why I have this continuing struggle, of why we as Christian believers have this continuing struggle with reliance is because we often view reliance as neediness. And we often view neediness as a very negative thing. As I was talking about this issue, this struggle with my wife, I love talking with my wife about these things. She helps me process and she, when I can't seem to listen to the Holy Spirit, she does on my behalf. But as we were talking about this, she began to convey to me some different thoughts and ideas and pointed out, hey, I've been listening to his teaching by a worship leader by the name of Melissa Helzer. And I think that it would be really on point for what you're, you're going through right now. And we took time to listen to that. And as she was sharing, she pointed out a lot of different things. She talked about neediness, reliance, that everything in life filters through God to be truly reliant and dependent upon God, to come to him, to listen to what we are to say, to what we are to do, of how we are to live our life in our everyday moments, whether through scripture or through prayer. And one of the things that was pointed out in her teaching was, listen, this is how Jesus lived. When Jesus was here on earth, in John chapter five and John chapter eight, we discover that everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, he received from the Father. In other words, Jesus was completely reliant upon God the Father and the Holy Spirit to speak to him on how he was to live his life. 
If we view reliance as neediness, then Jesus was the neediest person to ever live. Every single thing that he did, scripture tells us, is he came to the Father. Jesus was the neediest person ever. And we are called to be exactly like Jesus. What we need to understand, and this was a quote from Melissa Helzer, is that our neediness is not our shame, but rather it is our honor. Our neediness is not our shame, it is our honor. Neediness, reliance, displays our love and our trust of God. I think in myself, I have this idea that if I come to God with everything, many of us struggle with this, we feel that he's gonna get annoyed with us. He's gonna get irritated with us. He's gonna get upset with us. Now understand if there's something God has conveyed to you and you continue to ask him for it, I don't think he would get upset per se, but you know what I'm saying. But I think many of us have perhaps begun to base our understanding of God, of our heavenly father upon poor examples of authority that we've had in this life. Where when we came to someone and we needed something, when we were relying upon them, when we were in a position to be dependent upon them, they were annoyed with us. They were irritated with us. But God is our perfect heavenly father when we come to him for guidance, when we come to him to be dependent upon him, when we allow him to shape every course of action in our lives, it does not bother him, but instead it is worship to him. It is sweet to him. It conveys your love, your affection for him, your trust of him. We need to understand that neediness towards God is not a bad thing. So the question is, how do we live life reliant upon God? There's three things that I, I wanna share with you this morning. It's not exhaustive by any means. It's really a starting point because what it means and what it looks like to be reliant upon God, to depend upon God in all of our life looks different for every single one of us as believers but these starting points, I believe, are the same. But the first thing that we must do to live life reliant upon God, number one, is continually recognize our desperate need of him. Continually recognize our desperate need of him. John 15, five says this. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's so many different ways and different things that we could talk about with this verse. What it actually causes me to reflect back on is when I was a child, uh, I was still, of course, learning how the world works. And in my mind, trees were actually branches off of other trees that were replanted in the ground. I know that that's not how that works now, but when I was a child, that's how I thought it worked. But much to my dismay, the branch that I broke off and planted in the ground, not only did it not stay up, it would fall over, but eventually it would die. It might look nice for a little while, 
but as soon as it was separated from the tree, as soon as it was separated from the vine, it began to wither. We have to understand that when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, when he says something like, for apart from me, you can do nothing, he means what he says. For many of us in this life, and I'm guilty of this at times, we are used to people saying things that sometimes they don't actually mean. We are used to having interactions with individuals when we come across them in a grocery store and we're not prepared to run into them when we're in a hurry and we're just trying to get through the conversation quick and we end it by saying, hey, shoot me a text, message me on Facebook, call me sometime, let's get together to have lunch. I would love to have lunch with you. We're just trying to get out of the conversation quick. We don't actually mean what we're saying. But everything that Jesus said, he meant. So when he says something like, for apart from me, you can do nothing, we must realize that this is the truth of our life and that any life that we gain apart from Jesus is a counterfeit and will soon fade away. We must recognize our desperate need of him. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We desperately need Jesus, church. Without him, we have no way to the Father. In Acts 17, 28, in the ESV, it says this, for in him, we live and move and have our being. In this portion of scripture, the apostle Paul is talking to a bunch of philosophers and poets, and he is explaining to them what the Christian life is like. And he says, in him, we live and move and have our being, which if we reverse that, the opposite would be that without God, we are dead, we are immobile, and we are unable to fulfill our purpose. We must recognize our desperate need of him. And I would encourage you, church, if you are feeling dead, if you are feeling immobile, if you are feeling unable to fulfill your purpose that God has given you in this life, it may be that you are not relying fully upon him in some area of your life. Number two, of how we live life reliant upon God. Number two, we continually ask Holy Spirit to search us. We continually ask Holy Spirit to search us, to show us where pride perhaps has risen up, where independence has taken root, to display these things to us. In Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me, anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is a hard thing to do. This is something that we must continually do and that really we must force ourselves to do because this is the reality, at least for me. Every time I ask Holy Spirit, if there's anything in me that offends him, there's always something. There's always something. But especially in the issue of reliance, we must ask him, show me, is there anything in me that offends you? And then ask him to lead us on the path of everlasting life, which leads to number three of how we live a reliant life upon God. We must continually seek guidance from Holy Spirit. We must continually seek guidance 
from Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 5.16. And it says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It is an amazing promise to me and an amazing challenge. It is an amazing promise to me because it shows me that if I listen to Holy Spirit and if I allow him to guide my life, both through the word and through prayer, then my sinful nature will be suppressed. Then I will be living my life exactly as God desires. And that's also the amazing challenge for me is only if I let the Holy Spirit guide my life, then I will not be doing what my sinful nature craves. We must begin to step out and to listen, to be obedient, to be reliant, to be dependent, to view ourselves at times as being needy to fulfill that requirement of reliance. Because I don't know about you, church. I want to have the life that God desires for me. I want to receive life. I want to receive water from the fountain of living water. I want my life to be warmed. I want my life to be lit from the source of light rather than from my own fire. I want people around me to be able to experience God's light, God's living water, rather than David's light and David's living water. And that only happens when I'm reliant upon him. So I was preparing this morning and reviewing my notes. I felt God put one more thing on my heart to share with us this morning. Yes, we must continually recognize our desperate need of him. Yes, we must continually ask the Holy Spirit to search us. Yes, we must continually seek guidance from Holy Spirit. But what we must also do, church, is we must allow the Holy Spirit to shape and perhaps redefine our view of who God is. There are some of us that have experienced very tragic things in our past, very hurtful things that we have wrongfully attributed to God, that we blame him for tragedy in our lives. But God's word tells us that he is perfect. In James 1.17, it says, every good and perfect gift comes down from our heavenly father. Every good and perfect gift. There is no evil within him. The book of James continues to tell us. We cannot fully rely upon God. We cannot fully trust him if we believe or we doubt his goodness. There are some of us this morning that need to lay down hurt against our heavenly father. That need to ask Holy Spirit to reshape, to redefine how we view him to ask Holy Spirit to help us to perfectly know who he is, his desires for our life, which are good, which are pleasing, which are perfect.